today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. When you look at this story, we, we need to realize that Jesus describes this man in a way that God looks at all of us. An individual with no title, no label, no ethnicity, just somebody who actually needed help. And along comes three different people, each one of them who were able to render aid to this man, but two of them passed him by priest, not only did he pass him by, but he even took the trouble to cross the road around from him. I don't want to get too close because if I get too close, maybe I'll have to get involved. In today's message from Luke's Gospel, we will hear Pastor David preach on the story of the Good Samaritan. In this parable, Jesus was teaching us how God sees people. The Lord does not classify mankind according to rank, class, ethnicity, or race. Instead, the Lord sees each one of us equally. As Jesus' disciples, the Spirit empowers us to see others the way God sees. The story of the Good Samaritan teaches us that to be a good neighbor is to meet the physical and spiritual needs of those that God puts in our path. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Will You Be a Neighbor? Luke tells us that he asked this question in order to justify himself. And I'm sure you could have heard it in his voice, even as he asked Jesus, ah, but who's my neighbor? Ah, there's this Gerzaktrasian. Answer that one for me. I mean, I could love my family as myself. I could love my friend, well, most of my friends as my, okay, a few of my friends as myself. But to love my neighbor as myself? That really kind of depends upon who my neighbor is. You know, the guy across the street, I don't know about him, but not that other neighbor, that would be fine. You, you know, we, we pick and choose, don't we? But that's not the idea, that's not the understanding. But for the Jew of that day, his obligation to love, his mindset was, it was, it was pretty much solely based on his definition of neighbor. And for the most part, neighbor was limited to the fellow Jew. I can love a fellow Jew, but don't ask me to love one of those Gentiles. Forget it. And especially not one of those Samaritans. You see, that was the attitude of the Jews. They could deal with other Jews. They had no love, no care for anyone else. And even among the Jews, they they had their limitations even there. Well, I'm definitely not going to love a Jewish tax collector. No way. You know, there's, there's Jews that are, that are sinners, and I'm, I'm not going to love one of those because I'm a righteous Jew. You see how quick we can put limitations on who is worthy of our love, who we ought to love when in reality it says, no, you love your neighbor as yourself. 
So who is my neighbor? And once again, Jesus didn't really answer the question, at least not in a direct way. Jesus knew that this man wasn't really looking for the answer. He was simply looking to try and trip Jesus up. He knew again that this man was so far from the truth. Oh, he gave the right answer, but he was so far from the truth. And so Jesus responded to this man's question with with a story, and we see this down in verse 30. Jesus answered, he said to the man, a certain man went, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. He wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, uh, when he arrived at that place, he came and he looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, what does it say, church? He had compassion. He had compassion. Verse 34, so the Samaritan went to this man, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more that you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. Now before we get into this story, I, I think it's very interesting here. Jesus didn't say that this was a parable. I wonder if maybe it's actually an event that actually had taken place, maybe even near where they were that day. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. I'm wondering if somewhere in that area it was well known about this guy that had been nearly killed by these thieves and this Samaritan that reached out to him. We don't really know. But the story itself, rather the story is a true story or rather it is given as a parable, it's pretty simple. It's pretty much to the point. And no doubt, maybe uh, if, if you've grown up in Sunday school, maybe you've played one of the parts of the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's, there's five main characters here. We'll throw out the animal, okay? We, we, we won't worry about him. But there's five main characters that we look at in this story of the Good Samaritan. First of all, this priest. And what is a priest? Well, he's a representative of God to man and man to God. That's what he is called to be. That's what he's called to do. He's the one who served God through all of the temple ceremonies and then all of the rituals. Let me ask you something. Was this particular priest, was he truly a man who knew God and was led by the Spirit of God? Our story pretty much points to the negative. When given an opportunity to assist one in, in such a great need, the Word says that he passed on the other side. He, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. This representative of God to man didn't represent God to that man. And neither did he lift this man up to God. He passed away around to the other side. The, the Levite, uh, another temple worker, He was responsible for assisting the priests in their duties. He was responsible for serving areas of of worship, assisting in all of the sacrifices. And again, he's one that should represent and should draw people to an experience with God. And here he comes along, a, a person that without a doubt this person needs, desperately needs, a touch from God. So what do we see? 
Well, he's curious enough. He came and he, 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 he looked. But then it says, then he passed around to the other side too and, and, and went on the road. The third person we see is the Samaritan. Uh, you need to understand what a Samaritan is. The Samaritan, they, they were the hated half-breeds, okay? They were the half-breeds. They, they were the ones that nearly 500 years ago, when all of Israel was brought into captivity into Babylon, many were left in the promised land. Many of the Jews were left in the promised land. And over a time, they began to intermarry and intermix with the Gentiles that were there. So you've got the Jews intermarrying and mixing with the Gentiles, and their off-breed became what is known as the Samaritans. They were part Jew and part Gentile. And they were despised by all of the other Jews. And as a matter of fact, even having contact with a Samaritan, well, you'd probably be unclean. You you don't have anything to do with these half-breeds, these Samaritans. All of that had taken place like 500 years prior. But yet it was still impacting the mentality and the thoughts and the attitudes of the Jews of that day. The fourth person we see here is the innkeeper. We don't know anything about this man other than the fact that he had this business. This inn of that day, it was, uh, it was part pub, it was part restaurant, it was part Motel 6, okay? Well, maybe a holiday inn, depends upon how classy of a joint it was. But that's what they did. They just ministered to the travelers, whatever the need might be for the travelers as they came through. And then the fifth and the final character, this certain man. A certain man traveling along what would have been a very popular route of that day. It, it, it was a common road that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was about 17 miles all in all. And yet, when you look at the area, you look at the terrain that's there, you realize this road was a pretty tough road. It was a very winding path. At, at times, it was so steep as, uh, well, if you're going from Jericho up to Jerusalem, you're traveling uh, in that 17 miles, you're going about 3,300 feet elevation. That's the difference of the change. And this winding road, again, uh, so winding that at times you can't see very far in front of you or behind you. There is even outcroppings of rocks. It's a very dangerous road at that point in time. A lot of places for thieves and muggers to hide out and jump out at you, you know, unaware. As a matter of fact, uh, that road was so notorious, it was so filled with violence that about uh, 300 years after this, uh, Jerome, one of the early church leaders, wrote about that Jericho road. Uh, He said that it was the way of blood or the bloody way. That's how notorious it was. So here's a certain man. He he comes and he's, he's traveling and As he went, the word tells us, Luke tells us, he, as Jesus speaks, he fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They they wounded him. They departed. They left him half dead. And we don't know anything else about this guy. And personally, I think it's very interesting that Jesus doesn't reveal anything about this man at all. Because let me ask you, would it have made a difference? Did it make a difference? Well, we know that the two Jewish men, the priest and the Levite, they didn't want anything. Maybe, maybe he was a Samaritan. Maybe he was a Gentile. We don't know. Was he local or was he a foreign traveler? We don't know. Was he a peddler or, or a resident in the area? We don't know. Let me ask you this. Could he have possibly been black? Or maybe he was Arabic. Maybe he was Asian. Maybe he was Native American. Maybe he was Hispanic. Maybe he was white. How about a Syrian refugee or an Iranian refugee? Would it have made a difference? Would it have made a difference to you on who it was, 
where they came from? Does it make a difference? When you look at this story, we we need to realize that Jesus describes this man in a way that God looks at all of us. An individual with no title, no label, no ethnicity, just somebody who actually needed help. And along comes three different people, each one of them who were able to render aid to this man, but two of them passed him by. The priest, not only did he pass him by, but he even took the trouble to cross the road around from him. I don't want to get too close because if I get too close, maybe I'll have to get involved. Where's the heart of God from this man of God? Where's his compassion even for just a fellow human being? Let me ask you, does our outward display of religion and ritual mean nothing to our inner man? Can we on the outside come and rejoice and worship, declare and speak and maybe even teach the truth of God and yet that truth of God not have any kind of an impact on our inner man? Look at this Levite. I mean, the Levite, according to the wording, he actually came in for a closer look. He, he came and, 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 he, and he looked, but when he saw either who it was or what it was, he, he responded just like the priest. He walked around, and, and Jesus is very clear. He passed on the other side. Here's a guy who serves God in the temple, but he's unwilling to serve man in the world. Again, does our worship, do our acts of service in the temple mean nothing to us once we've left the temple mount or the church parking lot, serve the Lord with gladness as long as I'm within the four walls? What happens when we leave here? Are we really and truly still his representatives to a lost and dying, a a needful world, a world that's been beat up by the things of the world and by the enemy of our souls? People that are desiring help, and yet do we pass around on the other side? The Samaritan comes along. We love the Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This one, this this Samaritan, he's a guy that knew what it was like to be a castaway. He knew what it was like to be despised by polite society. He knew what it was like to be set aside by the general population of his day. And yet he was the only one that acted in a way that honored God. He was the only one. Jesus tells us here in this story, he says he had compassion. And that's an interesting word too, that word compassion. The Greek word is like really long, so I'm not even going to worry about it because I'd probably misspell it and you won't remember it, or mispronounce it and you won't remember it. But the root of that word comes from the word that we get our English word spleen from, okay? Our spleen. Now, the reason I say that is because in the Greek culture, and perhaps even if you have a King James version and dealing with, uh, not necessarily with this story, but in other areas. In the Greek culture, if, if, uh, if you had compassion on someone, it, it, they say it different than you and I. Now, you and I, we say, my heart had compassion on this individual. But in the Greek culture, they say, 
my bowels were moved toward this individual. And that's, you know, that you, we don't even want to go that word picture. Totally different idea. But anyway, it's an inward feeling that causes an outward expression. He had a compassion on this one that caused him to act upon that compassion. His heart was moved with sympathy. His heart was moved for pity for this man. And again, when we look at that word compassion, you realize that in our Bible, that exact word that's used for compassion, it's only used 12 times in Scripture. 12 times. Nine of those times, it deals directly with Jesus having compassion. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. Jesus had compassion on an individual. Jesus had compassion on the people of Israel. Jesus having compassion, nine of the 12 times. The other three times, Jesus uses that word in describing someone that has compassion. A master that had compassion on one of his servants. The father that has compassion on the prodigal son. And then here in Luke, where the Samaritan had compassion on this one that was beaten up and left nearly dead. I think we could easily look and see that compassion is one of the attributes of Jesus. And because it's an attribute of Jesus, it ought to be an attribute and an attitude of those that say, we follow Jesus. We ought to be people of compassion. That's what we're called to be. I think, again, for the Samaritan, his attitude, his, his attribute that was in his life, such a clear demonstration of Jesus. His compassion led the Samaritan to take the time to minister to this man in his need. He actually stopped well, uh, the other one, the priest and Levite, you know, we can make up all kinds of excuses. They were late getting to church that day. Hey, so call somebody. Tell them you're going to be late because you're doing the work of God. You know, you know we, we, it's so easy to make up excuses. But this man took the time. He actually stopped. He actually bound up this man's wounds. He had the compassion uh, that, that led him to take of his own resources to minister to to this man, and I'm wondering if for the priest and Levite, man, if I stop, this is going to cost me more than time here. This is going to cost me something. But I don't think that even entered into the Samaritan's mind. The Samaritan went ahead and he used his own oil and his own wine. He probably used his own bandages. Remember, this man was left stripped and, 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 and half beaten. So his own bandages, his own oil, his own wine. Then he placed him upon his own animal. The Samaritan's compassion led him to care about this man also beyond just the immediate. Oh, here, take an aspirin, call me in the morning, and, and no, no. He took the guy, he bandaged him up, put him on his animal, brought him to the inn while they were in the inn. He spent the night there with this guy. The next morning, he took of his own resources, gave the innkeeper two denarii. That's, that's two days' wages for a, a soldier or a laborer of that day. Gave it to the innkeeper and said, hey, Take care of whatever he might need. I'll, I'll be back, and if you spend any more than that, I'll pay you back. You see, he had a care that went just beyond a quick fix, and I'm done. I did my good deed for the day, and, and I'm done. Did I do right, Lord? Or did he really and truly have the heart and the mind, the attitude of God? And, and in the midst of all of this, this guy that he helped, so far as we know, he's an absolute stranger. 
Again, we don't know if he was Jewish or, 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 or Gentile or Samaritan, or, uh, a Roman citizen, whatever it is. We don't know. He was a stranger. So after Jesus tells his story, he turns back to this lawyer and he asks the lawyer, he says in verse 36, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? It's interesting too. Uh, Jesus' question, it wasn't so much about the stranger being the man's neighbor, but it was about how the Samaritan had fulfilled the place of being a neighbor to this man in need. This man that he didn't even know. This man that actually cost him to be the neighbor of. There was no way that the lawyer really could have answered differently than what he did. He answers in verse 37. He says, oh, well, that's, you know, he who showed mercy on him. I, I think it's interesting, too. He didn't say the Samaritan. Uh, this Jewish lawyer didn't even let that word come out of his mouth. Uh, I guess it was just that one that showed mercy. So Jesus said to him, he said, then go and do likewise. But that's the rub, isn't it? That's the hard part right there. The lawyer knew the right answer, but he wasn't willing to walk in the truth that he knew. And beloved, that's a problem for all of us even today. We know the right answer, but I want to let you in on something today. Knowing the right answer is not the test of your relationship with God. Living the right answer is what shows your relationship with God. You see, the knowledge has to move from the head about another foot or so to get to the heart, to where it actually makes a difference, to where it actually moves us in action. The priest and the Levite, I guarantee you, they both knew all the right answers. That's what they were called to do. They were in a position to proclaim and to teach all the right answers to the people of Israel. But when it came down to living the truth, both of them passed around to the other side. They knew the answer, but they weren't living in the answer. You see, folks, if, if, if we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, if we declare that we're part of the true kingdom of God, then there cannot be any conflict between our profession and our action because our action cancels out whatever profession we might make if we're not living what we are professing. And neither can there be words or, or even actions that say that we love God if we have no love for our neighbor, whoever that might be. Are we guilty of serving God in the temple or in the church and not serving him by loving the people that are in the world that surround us every day? How easy it is to verbalize without living out our profession. Jesus Christ lived out our, his profession. He lived out and he died for his profession of his love for the Father and his love for us. My question for you is, can, can we do anything less and still say that we're following Jesus? Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. 
for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word. from we-